I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today I want to talk about black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. For the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about moral compass work, and I know a lot of folks have a difficult time with some of the words like commitment, self-discipline, and I've heard a lot of questions about finding a gray area. So before we talk about gray areas in the moral compass work, I want to explain what all or nothing or black and white thinking is and how it impacts us. So black and white thinking is a pattern of thought characterized by thinking in extremes. When you think everything is always the worst day ever or the best day ever, it's thinking in absolutes or in these polarized ways. Black and white thinking messes us up because we are taking something and making it to be more exaggerated or bigger than it actually is. You may also have heard black and white thinking called all or nothing thinking, right? So I talk about us exaggerating things as people in this BPD, CPTSD, EUPD community, right? Being hyperbolic. People with depression and anxiety also experience black and white thinking. I think that we as folks um, with this BPD brain experience this through our, throughout our whole body, So let's talk about why black and white thinking is a problem. Well, the way we think affects our emotions. If we think in an exaggerated manner, or if we think in extremes, in hyperboles, then our emotions are going to swing from one extreme to another. Remember last season when I talked about not talking and thinking in hyperboles or practicing that at first in recovery? Well... This is why. When we think in extreme ways, our emotions are extreme, which contributes to that feeling of being out of control and chaotic that we have. All or nothing or black and white thinking is not something that occurs exclusively in borderline personality disorder, as I said a moment ago. It's also something that people with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses experience. It actually contributes to depression and anxiety. So one way to combat this kind of thinking is by doing CBT work, cognitive behavioral therapy, to learn to think in more honest, practical, and realistic ways. Black and white thinking makes the problem worse than it already is, and it creates this feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. Think about it this way. If my partner is a complete jerk, the biggest jerk in the whole world, then why would I recover? I mean, nothing is ever going to work if my partner is the meanest, biggest jerk in the whole world, right? So as you can see, it negatively impacts our relationships. Black and white thinking also invites the people around us to become defensive. You ever say to your partner, you never spend time with me. You don't love me as much as I love you. You don't love me, period. You never do the laundry. You never help me. You never initiate dates with me. Well, that makes them feel attacked because it isn't quite true. 
you would be exaggerating their lack of contribution to the relationship or how bad they are. I mean, sure, they might forget to do the laundry occasionally, or maybe they even intentionally didn't do it. Maybe three months have passed and they didn't do it. But even if that's the case, to say that they never do it, it isn't true and it exaggerates how bad they are. Let's say someone you're someone who has a difficult time with giving space to your partner. When if you say, like, you never initiate a date with me, but yet you're always the one to jump to, like, spend time with your partner, to make a date with your partner, you don't allow space in the relationship to, for them to come to you and make a date with you, then for you to say that they never do that, it really puts them in a position where they now have to defend their character, right? They now feel like they're being attacked. And then this whole argument ensues, there's a BPD episode, they get angry and resentful, and then they start saying really hateful, mean things to you. And of course, because they feel attacked and hurt, and so do you. So you see, black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking puts people in a position where they feel like they have to defend their character. It creates arguments and lack of trust. Remember, the more extreme the statement, the more likely it is that the person is to feel attacked. So if it's so bad, and as I talk, you can kind of think, oh gosh, well, that's obvious, right? Well, then why do we do it? Well, people do what works, and it does work. I believe that everything we do serves a purpose, whether it's dysfunctional or functional in nature. It helps us feel like we are the victim of our circumstances, which... As I've spoken about before, that can be kind of comforting, right? Especially if we actually have been a victim of circumstances. Not only that, but it helps us get validation from others that may not have been paying enough attention in our perception. It also helps us avoid taking responsibility for our actions. We can have that poor me mentality, which allows us to stay in this comfort zone, never having to take action and to do the work necessary to change ourselves. So say you think to yourself, but I can't do it. I, this is too hard. Recovery is too hard. I can't wake up every day and be disciplined. I'm tired. Do you know how exhausting it is? You can do it, Rose. Of course you can do it. I'm not perfect like you or the other people in the recovery stories. These rules don't apply to me. I'll never get better. Well then you don't actually have to take responsibility for your own behaviors. And you can put the blame on other people. And you really never have to wake up and actually try. You can use that as the staying in the fear comfort zone, right? So it works because there's comfort there. You really have to think about that. So if you're out there and that's something that you think, I'll never recover. This is the worst illness ever. These strategies and formulas will work for someone else and not me. What that's going to do is excuse you in your mind from ever having to do the hard work of recovery and to take responsibility for your role in your own issues and to work hard to overcome them. I don't want that for you. That will keep you stuck. All right, so what else does black and white thinking do for us? It helps us protect ourselves from feeling guilty or accountable for our own actions. So we can put up walls, and walls, as you all know, protect us from feeling vulnerable, which is a very uncomfortable thing. If we think, oh, everything is awful, then we can stay in bed, pull the covers over our head, or apply for disability, 
and just stay in bed forever, potentially, to never have to be vulnerable and face the hard stuff. Emotions are uncomfortable, so wallowing in how awful everything is is actually easier than letting those walls down, getting uncomfortable, and trying to figure things out. Problem with that is that we need to experience vulnerability to connect with others and with ourselves and to live a life that has hope and dreams. All right, what else does black and white thinking do for us? Well, it makes things really simple so we don't have to process and deal with the complex nature of the world around us. So let's say he liked her photo, right? Your partner likes her photo. You can think, he doesn't love me and he'll leave me. That's a pretty simple way of drawing a conclusion, right? It makes life a bit more tolerable because we can label people as either all good or all bad. The problem with something like that is it creates a false sense of simplicity because all people are actually a combination of good and bad. No one is all good or all bad. Again, people are a combination of good and bad. Black and white thinking creates a false sense of simplicity. But if we see things as all good or all bad, then we don't really have to navigate the complexities of human emotions and relationships, which makes things easy, right? So as you can see, black and white thinking can be beneficial short term because we can stay out of the place of discomfort. Unfortunately, especially if you are listening to this podcast, it can have severe consequences long term because it isolates us from others and makes us feel hopeless, helpless, and chaotic. It also contributes to others not being able to connect with and trust us, and for us to trust ourselves. It makes us pretty unhappy, in other words. And remember, the more extreme our thinking, the more likely we are to be depressed. Remember when I talked about my old journals being filled with pages of I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough? Or about how we compare ourselves to others and say, well, she likes her photos, so she'll love her because she's perfect and not me. I'm crazy, I'm bad, I'm a failure. Or the thought of no one will ever like me, no one will ever love me, I'll always be alone. Or, recovery is too hard, I can't do it. This is something that's not for me. I'll never get better. Well, these thoughts are so extreme that they give us no way out. Not only do they give us no way out, they make us feel lost, trapped, hopeless, and they're not true. The reality of life is that no one and nothing is actually perfect. There's no perfect job, no perfect recovery path, no perfect person, no perfect relationship. And by telling ourselves that someone is either perfect or awful, we create big issues for ourselves. So how do we fix it? Well, for people with BPD, what I find is that we are so hypersensitive that we have to first start with not thinking and talking in hyperboles, and even employing someone we trust to help us, and not getting defensive when they do call us out. I think it can be very complicated for the BPD brain because we feel, think, live, breathe, and act in hyperboles, in exaggerated states. So awareness is key at first. Even that statement, I'm sure there are neurotypical people out there that will listen to this episode. And I say things like, we feel, think, live, breathe, and act in hyperboles. That sounds like an exaggeration. 
but that is the reality for the individual with BPD. What we experience as reality is what a neurotypical person experiences as a hyperbole. So we really have to start to find the balance between these two states and really become aware of when we're doing that. So anytime you're saying things like, I feel awful, I feel like I'm going to die, or I'm working all day, every day, I can't do anything else, you want to figure out whether or not those things are true. I don't really know anyone that works all day, every day. I, w I know people that work 9 to 5, 8 to 4, 11 to 7, but not 24 hours in a day. So if you say that you're working all day, every day, and you have no time for anything else, and you're working with me, and I go, well, you're done work at 4 o'clock, so that doesn't mean you're working all day, every day. Well, then you want to really start to accept that and think about, okay, well, what am I saying that makes me helpless? Because if you say that I'm working all day, every day, and you're going to therapy, or you have another coach, and it's not me, and they're not working with hyperboles on you, with you, excuse me, likely that individual is going to feel bad for you. And they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you're working all day, every day. There's no way that you could work out or eat healthy or do your recovery work because you're just working all day, every day. Poor you, right? So not only do you feel helpless and hopeless, but they are now validating you in that helpless and hopeless state. So it seems like it's splitting hairs, right? Like, okay, fine, I'm not working all day. I'm just working till four, I roll. <laughs> but it helps people get accurate information and it helps you get accurate information. And it also helps you be able to hold out hope. So step one is to notice when you're engaging in black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, or talking and living in a hyperbole. Look for language you are using, always, never, or when you use adjectives to describe things that already make discomfort known. Like if I say, I had a bad day. It's a bad day. I don't have to say I had a terrible, no good, horrible, awful day like that book. I can just say, I had a bad day. I don't have to say my day was just awful, so awful and horrible, you would never ever believe how awful and horrible it is. Just say, I had a bad day. That's enough. People will understand what that means. Step two, challenge your thoughts. My head hurts worse than it has ever hurt in my entire life. Whoops. <laughs> Actually, I just have a headache. Challenge yourself when you are engaging in this hyperbolic thought pattern, this always never exaggerated way of speaking and thinking, to have the thought or say the phrase again without the exaggeration. Is your partner the worst person in the whole world? Or are you just upset right now at their behavior in this moment? Step three, replace the thought and apologize. If you find you were exaggerating and the person you are in relationship with had to defend their character because of your extreme thinking or language, apologize for making them feel like they are all bad and tell them what you really meant without all the extremes and exaggerations. It will go a long way to help you start to reconnect with loved ones. So today's Q&A is what I talked about in the very beginning of the episode. Lots of folks will talk to me about moral compass work and how they're trying to find the gray area because they've been told by someone at some point in time or read that they engage in black and white thinking. So I just gave you 
three concrete steps and a formula that you can use to begin to break yourself of this black and white thinking habit and the reasons why black and white thinking is dysfunctional. So when you ask the question of, okay, Rose, like, I know that you want me to commit to recovery, but I'm supposed to try and find the gray area. So if I'm being self-disciplined to something and I wake up and I'm tired, I'm emotionally exhausted, then I don't want to be hard on myself. I need to find the gray. That's what everyone keeps telling me. Okay, well, what I want you to realize in your recovery and as you do your moral compass work is that there is not gray area in everything. There are gray areas in your thinking when you think in extreme and exaggerated ways. But if we're talking like about something like making a commitment, there's no gray. I'm either going to commit or I am not. So if you're going to make a commitment to recovery, you either, you're either in or out. There's no gray there or else you wouldn't be committed. You'd be negating the entire definition of the word. So first thing you want to do on your moral compass journey is to make a commitment and to actually commit to it, in or out. If you look at something like honesty on your moral compass, there is no gray area when it comes to truth. Truth is based on facts, things that have actually happened, events that have actually happened, right? So something is either true or it's not. You either cheated or you didn't. You either lied or you didn't. There is no gray area there. Lying by omission is not a gray area. It's still a lie. Lying by omission meaning like not saying something because you know that it'll make a person upset or because you're going to leave out a detail. That's not a gray area. How about something like self-discipline? You're either disciplined or you're not. So if you make a commitment to recovery, then you're all in. And if you have to be disciplined to that process, then if you wake up and you feel emotionally exhausted, there's no gray area. You still have to do the things you need to do to stay on mission, to be disciplined, and to have integrity. You either have discipline or you don't. You either have integrity or you don't. So it's important when you're thinking about morals that you want to be convicted in morals. There is no gray area with these things. So black and white thinking applies you know, in a different way to your life, and you absolutely have to chip away at that. But you also have to be able to discern whether or not you're using this idea of finding the gray area to escape from the hard work of doing the moral compass work, right? I just really wanted to answer that question because I get that a lot in emails and in individual sessions, you know, and phone calls. Like, I thought I was supposed to be finding the gray, and you are, but not everything has a gray area. So I hope that's helpful for you and you're able to start on your journey of moral compass work. I also want to say that even though, you know, not everything has a gray area and if you wake up exhausted and you feel like you want to quit, but you can't because you're committed to self-discipline, which either is or isn't, you know, it's okay that you make mistakes. There's a difference between letting go of your recovery entirely and then making a mistake or messing up or taking, you know, time to yourself after you've done the thing that you have to do. It's okay to make mistakes. Everyone will. You're not going to be perfect all the time. But the goal is to make sure that you don't actively choose to lie, to be disloyal, to be um, to non-committed to your recovery just because you're trying to find this gray area. So I really hope that that's something that you can kind of ingrain in you and, and, and start your moral compass work, your moral compass journey. Second part to this question that people usually ask is, what morals should I start with? How many is too many? 
Well, I think the biggest ones that I find, you know, people need to start with are commitment, honesty, self-discipline, perseverance, courage, and love. Those are the biggest ones. So I really hope that you can, that jumpstarts your moral compass work. And we're going to wrap up the moral compass series for this time period, this season even. Next week, I'm going to start talking about eating disorders. So I have a lot of great questions. We're going to do it in several parts. I'll start by defining all of the eating disorders, and then we'll go into some nuances about treatment and where BPD and eating disorders overlap. And I'll answer any questions that listeners have. So if you have those questions, send them in, and we'll see you next week for another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems, LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeeterstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every week. Next time on the show, we'll continue to talk about moral compass work. We have communication skills, parenting skills, eating disorders, and a lot of other awesome things for you. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. All right. We made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.